0: You're listening to a Healthy Insider Podcast audio report with Karen Butler, Senior Editor. This Healthy Insider audio report is underwritten by Deerland Probiotics and Enzymes. The global market for probiotics with foods and supplements together hit $43.8 billion in 2018 and is estimated to reach $77 billion over the next seven years, according to data from IPA, the International Probiotics Association. Although probiotics are becoming increasingly common across a bevy of retail categories, Diane Ray, Vice President of Strategic Innovation at the Natural Marketing Institute, said it's not too late for companies to get in on the action.
1: And the probiotics
0: market is pretty exciting for people, especially who still would like to get into the market.
1: I know a lot of people have said that we hear at conversations, oh, that market's already saturated, and that is absolutely not the case. There's a lot of growth opportunity.
0: NMI research of U.S. consumers who reported using supplements in the last 30 days provides insight into the demographic and market potential.
1: The target consumer for probiotics, uh, based on the current user, right, is interesting because they tend to be a more educated consumer, a slightly higher income consumer, and people who are already invested in health and wellness which means they're primed for all kinds of things. So if you don't have a probiotic in your portfolio, this is a perfect time to add one. And one is probably not enough, but one is certainly a place to start.
0: While researching the average probiotics user, NMI reported a compelling finding in terms of generational appeal. When you look at the 53 million probiotics users in the U.S., they tend to skew a little bit female,
1: um, probably because females are a little bit more proactive about digestive health and take a little bit bigger picture of immunity and systemic health. Um, But we look at that group and we see about 44% of current users in the U.S. are millennials, which is a great growth target for people coming into the market. Right? We know that's a growing group. That's the biggest percentage of the population at this point. We have about 19% of users are Gen X and about 31% are boomers. So you've got both ends of the scale there. You've got the aging population uh, who are proactive about their health, and you've got the kind of up-and-comers. And
0: And the potential for market growth doesn't stop there.
1: Yeah, and the other interesting part about these users is 40% of these users have children in their household under 18, which really opens the door to uh, children using probiotics
0: as well. As with any product category, formulating with probiotics involves unique considerations. I asked John Davidson, Director of Innovation and Education at Deerland Probiotics and Enzymes, what types of misconceptions are prevalent among those newer to the space?
2: Yeah, I think maybe one of the major ones is uh, you know people that are a little bit less knowledgeable and maybe just assume that all probiotics are basically the same. Uh, that's not really the case. you know there's some really important distinctions that can be made between various organisms. And and even within the same genus and species, you have strain specificity now that's becoming more and more um, evident. And uh, clinical studies that are done to substantiate claims really are done on a specific strain. And uh, if you don't use that strain, then technically you shouldn't be able to use that clinical data.
0: Davidson offered several key considerations when selecting which probiotic to use in a formulation
2: that's really uh, a key consideration is what are you going to put it into, what's the process that has to survive, will it survive gastric passage if it's going to be consumed, and um, you have to address shelf stability with your process and your container closure system, and, you know, just the compatibility of all the ingredients that are going to be in the, in the finished product matrix, you have to consider those as well and what effect they might have on the stability of the probiotic.
0: Stability has long been a consideration for probiotics. In fact, Davidson called it somewhat of an Achilles heel. That's because many probiotic bacteria are naturally sensitive to heat, moisture, and other factors that can influence everything from storage and manufacturing to potential efficacy once consumed. Advances facilitating the use of spore-forming bacteria in products brought another option, one that greatly inspired innovation, particularly in foods and beverages. However, Davidson cautioned new ingredients bring new considerations, stressing the importance of working with a manufacturer experienced in probiotics. Take, for instance, the hardiness of spore formers
2: Well yeah, that's one of the major advantages is there's inherent stability um, so that stability is kind of a two-edged sword because for a manufacturer. You have to really be cognizant of the fact that you're not going to be able to just uh, do a blow and go in the manufacturing and, and have say that they're clean. You have the potential, you know, for cross-contamination if you don't completely remove the organisms. And Because they are more stable and more hardy, it takes a more rigorous cleaning protocol and, and testing for sterility.
0: The use of a spore forming probiotic isn't the only way to stand out in the marketplace though, advised Scott Bush, president of Probiotic Consulting. You
3: know, we're seeing differentiation in terms of therapeutic areas that are being looked at. We're seeing differentiation in terms of um, strain offering. We're seeing differentiation in terms of delivery vehicles.
0: Bush has been in the probiotics industry for more than three decades, so he's seen firsthand how the landscape has evolved.
3: Yeah, there's been there's been a number a number of changes. I mean, probably the first one and the biggest one is is the clinical documentation behind probiotic formulations. When I first got into the industry thirty years ago, there was very little science and, and a lot of the science that was done was pretty basic and not necessarily done in randomized controlled trials. So, so we've definitely seen, you know, a vast improvement in both the quantity of science and the quality of science that's done also seen a, a, an increase in the number of strains that are offered. We've seen a, a, in some cases large increases in the potency of strains that are offered. When I first got in the industry, you know most formulations were one, two or three strains with a potency of you know one to five billion. Now now we, see, we still see single strain formulations which are very effective, but we also see multi-strain formulations up to as many as 14, 16, 20 strains. We see potencies that go up uh, into the hundreds of billions.
0: I asked Davidson what he thought some of the most important starting points were for companies considering the development of a probiotic formulation.
2: Well, maybe some of the things we already mentioned, you know, uh, the science and how important that is to have scientifically substantiated data to support your claims. Um, The stability of the organisms and of the finished product itself in the dosage form that you're presenting. Uh, That would include how it's packaged, because that's definitely going to be a factor for the finished product stability. Um, Other ingredients that you might be able to combine with your probiotic organism, that might give some type of a complementary effect to overall efficacy.
0: Davidson's imperative to focus on the science was echoed by Ray. She noted the objective is no small challenge. Uh, And the applications
1: of probiotics and how they work in your body just keep expanding, and as that knowledge expands, people are valuing probiotics more and more. There's lots of opportunities for differentiating based on the science. Um, The challenge, I believe, going forward is going to be communicating that science to consumers in a way in which they can understand it. You don't want to go into too much depth.
0: You don't want to make it too simplistic.
1: So how do you find that perfect balance in communication?
0: While Bush agreed consumer education must continue to help abate confusion, he also offered an alternate perspective.
3: And I think one of the best ways to, to, to combat that confusion is to really start educating better the the healthcare provider, the HCP. You know, mm-hmm. I think that, that doctors and dietitians, nutritionists, homeopaths, naturopaths, chiropractors, professionals that consumers turn to for advice. Um, I I think is a more manageable step in terms of where we go next in terms of educating uh, uh, people about probiotics. And and so I think these influencers can play a significant role.
0: Through ongoing education of consumers and practitioners, innovative product development, and continued research, the probiotics category is not only stable, but ripe for growth. For more award-winning podcasts from industry experts, go to insider.com and click in the podcast section. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts or Google Play by searching Healthy Insider Podcast. Hit subscribe to never miss an episode. To join the conversation about the health and nutrition industry, leave a comment on the podcast's Twitter, Facebook, or SoundCloud account.